about that name Jesus. Amen. The great theologian Rance Allen said, it's something about the name Jesus. Some of y'all don't, y'all don't even know who Rance Allen is. You better Google him. He'll take you straight to church. Amen. Well, happy Easter to you guys. It is good to be here. He has risen. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys know the, the traditional response. When someone says, he is risen, you respond back by saying what? This side is spiritual right here. The proper response is, he is risen indeed. Let's practice it, but, but I want you to say it. Before we do it, I want you to say it like the tomb is really empty. So when I say he is risen, you just respond back and say, he has risen indeed. He has risen. Some of y'all don't believe the tomb is empty. Let's try it one more time. He has risen. Indeed, he has risen, the Lord, our Savior, our, our King, our, our great God. Uh, the death, the grave could not hold him down. Uh, he is victorious. We do not serve a weak king. We do not serve a passive king, but we serve a king that uh, didn't only have the ability to raise others from the dead, but had the ability to raise himself from the dead. And that is the king that we serve. Well, we're coming up the hills of a busy weekend. We got to celebrate uh, Good Friday. I don't know if you guys are here. How many were here for our Good Friday service? Amen. Amen. We had a great time, a good time of celebrating the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, the old Baptist preachers would say early on Sunday morning. And so really what I'm saying is today is a day that we don't just get to celebrate the death. We don't just get to celebrate the burial, but we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our king did not stay dead. Uh, uh, last year, I got to take a trip into Israel. I flew into Tel Aviv and took a little drive into Jerusalem. And uh, when I got to Jerusalem, one of the things that was on my list, my really my bucket list to do is to go to the tomb of Jesus Christ. And I got to go into this tomb and I got to spend at least five minutes with nobody there, just me. And I, I was bawling my eyes out and sitting there. And here's what I didn't see when I got to the tomb. Jesus was not in there going, how was your flight? He just wasn't there tomb was empty and so you know it's important that that tomb is empty because if Jesus did not rise from the dead you and I have no hope like there's no way you, you know the scripture in Romans chapter 8 that says if the same spirit that raised him from the dead quickens our immortal bodies so there's no hope for us in fact I, I promised the church before I went to Israel that if I got there and Jesus was still in the tomb I was never preaching again because the entire thing hinges it's like those doors it hinges those doors hang on the hinges they can't stay up without it Christianity has no base we have no we have nothing to stand on if Jesus body did not rise but he did rise nobody is able to find him can we thank God for a risen Savior Amen. Let me quickly uh, move to express my gratitude, my thanksgiving for all of our volunteers that worked, not just Good Friday, uh, not just today, but even last week for our anniversary service. Uh, can we thank God for all of our volunteers? Amen. We have volunteers that work in our, our children's area, and so you guys really don't get to see them unless you have kids, then you interact. If not, you, you kind of, you know, just walk past those rooms and uh, not realize that ministry is going on in there as well. Those kids are being taught the gospel, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so I'm grateful for our, our children's ministry and our AV team. And our, can we thank God for the worship team? Amen. Such, such very, very 
gifted individuals, gifted uh, musicians. These guys could be uh, on tour right now with Justin Bieber. They could be, they could be doing so much. I don't know why Justin Bieber popped in. Justin Bieber anointing this morning. I, these guys could be doing so much, and even our singers and uh, our worship leaders. And I'm just so I'm thankful for them. And you know, you guys just get to see them and experience them on Sunday mornings. But during the week, they're here. They're here rehearsing. I know they snuck in a couple of extra rehearsals for uh, for Good Friday and for today. And so I'm just I want to express to everybody that is a volunteer here that you are loved and your service. You putting your hand to the plow. You're not serving just Epiphany Church. You're serving the Lord while you're doing it. So we're grateful for you. And, and honestly, the benefit of serving is community. That's the benefit of it. The benefit is that you get to be around your brothers and sisters. So I'm thankful for everybody. And if, you, if you're in here and you uh, are looking for ways to plug in, you know, we're a church that don't believe that you should just be consumeristic. In other words, you shouldn't just come and sit and do nothing. But there should be a, a joint participation where you're serving, but you're also being served. So thank God for all of you that, uh, that do serve. Uh, last week was our anniversary. Thank God for Dr. Mason coming in here and tearing us all up. Amen. I am grateful for him. Well, today is Easter, and so we will detour from our Habakkuk series. If you guys can grab your Bibles or your devices and meet me in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Uh, let me just kind of give you guys some direction and vision on where we are going over the next several weeks uh, as we work our way through Scripture. Um, we are in a Habakkuk series. For those of you who are, are pretty new to our church or this is your first time here, we like to be in books of the Bible. And so we, we're going through the entire book of Habakkuk. Uh, and when I, when I say that, I mean literally line by line and verse by verse. We're trying to work through all of it. And we we're just into chapter one a couple of weeks ago, and now we're moving into chapter two. Uh, but today we're going to detour. Last week we detoured because of anniversary. This week we're going to detour because of Easter. In a couple of weeks, I don't know if you guys saw, Dr. Tripp is preaching. Doctor, I don't know if you guys know him, but let me just promise you, that is not the Sunday you want to miss. You don't want to sleep in that Sunday. I'm, I'm just telling you right now, he is an amazing, amazing communicator of the grace uh, that is found in the gospel message of Christ. And so you want to be here. Uh, but in between this Sunday and next Sunday is one free Sunday. And I didn't want to start Habakkuk again and then stop it again when Dr. Tripp preached. And so we will pick up Habakkuk uh, in three weeks. We'll jump back into the book of Habakkuk. We're going to put the words back up here and we're just going to dive back in uh, to chapter two of Habakkuk. And let me just tell you, uh, Dr. Tripp texted me yesterday and was telling me how excited he is about preaching uh, here in two weeks. So you guys really, 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 really uh, need to be here. All right. Verse one of Matthew 28. Everybody's good this morning. All right. Verse one. Uh, this is what we're going to do. I think you guys know our style here. We're going to work through 10 verses uh, and then I'm going to let you guys uh, go enjoy the rest of Easter. Verse one. Now, after the Sabbath day, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Verse four. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became, you should underline these three words, like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. You should rejoice at this verse. He is not here. He has risen. 
as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. I have told you. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb. Look at the emotions in the text. With fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and they took a hold of his feet and worshiped him. Last verse, verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I'm going to preach this morning or this afternoon from, uh, really it's posed as a question, but it is the theme or our topic today, and that is, what happens after Easter? Why don't you look at your neighbor and just simply say, what happens after Easter? Now, don't expect to answer back. Just simply tell them we're going to find out in the text today. Why don't you look at somebody else? I know you, you got your Easter wear on and you think that today is the day, but there is another day uh, called Monday. I know some of y'all are like, I know what happens after Easter. I'm going to work. <laughs> but I just look at somebody else and just simply ask them, what happens after Easter? <laughs> Let us look to the Lord. Father, we thank you for an empty tomb. We really could say amen right there and leave because we rejoice over the fact that the tomb is empty. As I said earlier, God, Romans 8, 11 is clear that if the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies. God, we thank you for conquering sin. God, we thank you for conquering death. God, we thank you that we don't have a weak and a passive king. We have a king that is victorious, but you're so dope because you decided even in your kingliness that you would die on a cross for us. That should do something to us, Lord. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we would be clear in hearing the gospel today. Lord, I, I pray that you would give me strength and boldness to proclaim the gospel with no conviction. Pray that I would be able to not add in anything to this word or take anything away from it. Let me preach only what the scriptures say. It is in Christ's name that we give all glory and all honor. Everybody say amen. amen. What happens after Easter? I used to live next to... Uh, Brooklyn's largest cemetery, Greenwood Cemetery. Living on 5th and 21st and a couple blocks down is Greenwood Cemetery. I don't know if you know this, but Greenwood Cemetery is home to a half a million dead bodies. Now, I never paid attention to Greenwood Cemetery. I'd walk by it, I'd drive by it. Sometimes I'd park my car right next to Greenwood Cemetery and I never ever would think about going in unless there was some type of burial. And I don't know anybody that's buried there. Uh, but there was a young man that, that goes to this church, and uh, he was telling me how he often visits Greenwood Cemetery just to hang out. And I, I thought that was a little weird, uh, but he said, you know what? In fact, let's meet there for lunch. I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to try to be adventurous. I'm going to try something new. And so we went down the street and grabbed some sandwiches and some chips and, and grabbed a soda and, and made our way to Greenwood Cemetery. And here's what I found out. He was right. It's beautiful, like the beautiful mausoleums from way, way back in the day. Listen, stay with me. <laughs> Beautiful mausoleums and even, even reading, I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever done this, but reading the inscriptions about the life of the people on their tombstones was, was really, really good for me for some reason. For, for example, whenever we look at a tombstone, we just look at the birth date and the death date, but there's a dash in between those dates. And we don't seem to realize that that dash represents someone's life. 
So when I was looking at the tombstones, I was reading about that dash and reading what these people had accomplished and their loved ones and how many children they were leaving behind. And this, this is just a side note. I like the way my pastor says it. This is for free. He says that like he charges for the rest of it. But <laughs> this, this is for free. You were living in between that dash right now. Like what's going to be on your tombstone? What are people going to say about you? So as I'm, I'm sitting there in Greenwood Cemetery and I'm eating my, my, my turkey and cheese and I'm talking with this young man and I must have read about 100 inscriptions, here's what the young man and I did not see while we were at that cemetery. I did not see any of those bodies crawl out of the grave. None of them. First of all, that would have been a problem. But I didn't see any dead body rise to life. None of them. Last year, I told you guys, I got on a plane and head to, to Israel and uh, when I got to the tomb, there was another tomb that I visited. But unlike the mausoleums and the, the tombstones that I was reading, this gravesite, this tomb was empty. The rest of them I saw at Greenwood Cemetery all had a body still in them. But when I, now, just in case you aren't connecting the dots, I'm talking about the tomb of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is absolutely empty. And can I tell you why that's important? That is important because if the tomb is empty, Christianity is not a true religion. I cannot proclaim Christianity. I, I told the church before I left, I said, if I get to the tomb and Jesus is there, I can't preach the word anymore because Christianity isn't a true religion, but it is a true religion because the tomb is empty. And, and really, when you look at the, the, those who critique and those who push back on the resurrection and say it's not true, honestly, it's hard. You, you'd have to really dig up a lot of evidence to prove that it's not true because it's so much evidence to show that it is true. Like there's a, there's a verse tucked away in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that says that Jesus showed up. Listen to this. After his death, before his, uh, after he rose from the dead, before his ascension into heaven, he showed up. The Bible says to Cephas, to the 12, and then it says he showed up to over 500 people. And then Paul ends it by saying, most of whom are still alive. In other words, you can go talk to them right now. I'm writing this letter to you in 1 Corinthians. You can go talk to the people that are still alive. Over 500 people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. Now, you'd be hard-pressed to find 500 people hallucinating at the same time. Because you know that is what they say about the resurrection of Christ. They say the people that saw Jesus after he rose from the dead really didn't see Jesus. They were hallucinating. But 500 people hallucinating at the same time, unless you smoke in that stuff, you ain't going to find 500 people all hallucinating at the same time. No, they saw the resurrected king. So my goal this morning or this afternoon really is twofold. I want to, through scripture, convince you that the resurrection is true, that the tomb is actually empty. But my second fold goal of, of our time together this afternoon is not just to convince you, but if you do believe it, to show you what we should be doing after we believe that that is true. Because here's the reality. It's April 1st. It is the first, uh, first day of April. That means we are four months into this year, and some of you have not shared your faith all year long, despite the fact you believe that the tomb is empty. You believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and you ain't telling people about that? That is crazy. And so we must, we must figure out what are we supposed to do. You got your Sunday gear on. Some of you look nice. Daniel's sitting up here with his gaiters on. Y'all look nice. 
But if the goal is just to look nice on, not to shame you, bro, but if the goal is just to look nice on Sunday morning, we're missing it. What does Monday through Saturday look like for us? So the text is going to show us. The text is going to say, listen, this is what you do after Easter. Now, before I jump into the text, it's important that you, you understand that I, I'm going to be interacting with the other Gospels. So you know that there's, there's uh, three synoptic Gospels. If you add in uh, John, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which all show us a completed painting or a completed picture of the resurrection of Christ. In other words, there's no contradictions within the Gospels. They all show us a completed picture. When I was in school, I took a class on the, on the Gospels, the four Gospels, and it talked about, I had to read a book called The Four Portraits of Christ. And the professor was like, man, the, the, you know, the Gospels don't contradict themselves. Let me prove it to you. And this is what the professor does. He calls a young lady into the, into the classroom, and she comes into the classroom. She stands for 20 seconds, and then she leaves back out. He says, now I want you to write down every fact and every detail you saw about her. So I'm writing, she has a red scarf. Somebody's like, she has, a, you know, red boots, or she has a purse on. But here's what I didn't do. I didn't, I didn't write down everything about her. But my neighbor that saw the same person wrote down other details. And if you combine all of our testimonies, we didn't contradict. We completed. And so in the Gospels, you're going to see that they're completing it. The reason I'm saying that to you is we're in Matthew chapter uh, 28. But I promise you we're going to deal with uh, Luke 24 and we're going to deal with Mark 16, which all talk about the same story. Look with me at verse number one. Verse 1 says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. The, the complementing verse to Matthew 28 is Luke 24. Now, why do I have to say that to you? The reason I need to say that to you is because Matthew leaves out a very important detail that Luke picks up. Matthew simply says that these two women, Mary Magdalene and uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, go to the tomb. But they leave out a point that Luke brings up. Look at what Luke says in Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Here it is, taking spices that they had prepared. In other words, they get to this tomb with spices in their hand and the tomb is empty. Can you imagine going to one of your loved one's graves? And you go to the gravesite with flowers in your hand and you get there and there is no body there. You wouldn't think that person rose from the dead. You would say, man, the cemetery must have moved the body. Somebody stole the body. You would be confused. These women are confused. Now, why is that important? Why is this point that they have spices in their hand important? One of the one of the pushbacks against the resurrection of Christ is that the followers of Jesus the night before all came together in some joint conspiracy to steal the body of Jesus and act like he rose from the dead. That's what people actually believe, despite the fact that the text shows us that there's two guards there. How are you doing that with two guards sitting there? Okay, forget that. They have spices in their hand, meaning they didn't come to the tomb to be a part of some conspiracy. They came to finish the embalming process. They got there and did not expect that Jesus would not be there. They got there day three because the body is starting to decay. It's starting to stink. And so they're bringing spices to prepare the body. They were not getting there acting like, oh, no, we, we already stole the body last night. Why are you bringing spices then? Not only that, you know, this cracks me up. When you read Mark 16, Mark 16 says that as they're on their way to the tomb, 
the two women are arguing, saying, how are we going to move the tomb? How are we going to move the stone? They are, they're confused. They are not getting there going, oh, yeah, we stole it last night. No, they expected a body to be there. Why? Because they have spices in their hand. We read that kind of stuff, and we just run over it like, oh, that's cool. You know, they got some spices. They, you know, making some herbal tea. No, they went, to, they went to finish the embalming process, and that is proof of the resurrection. You want to know some more proof of the resurrection? Look who is sent to the tomb. Look back with me at verse number one. Now, after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, here's, here it is, two ladies, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary went to see Jesus. First of all, I know Mary, the mother of Jesus, like, I ain't the other Mary. <laughs> Mary Magdalene is the other Mary. I'm the mother of Jesus. But my, my Matthew calls her the other Mary. This is the mother of Jesus. Here's proof that the resurrection is true. If this is true that this is a joint conspiracy, trust me, they wouldn't have sent two ladies. Because in ancient times, in ancient times, not now, in ancient days, women were not considered reliable sources. So if this is a joint conspiracy, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm sending one of the boys. I'm sending Thaddeus, I'm sending Peter, and I'm going to act like, you know, because their testimony is true. Their testimony is more reliable to the world. I'm not going to send two women. Now, ladies, don't miss your shouting moment right here. Because the first ones to see the resurrection, the first witnesses were not the men. It was two godly ladies. Don't miss this. Ladies, we need you to be on your A game. We need you to share your faith. We need you to be in your word. We need you to be prayerful. We need you to have accountability. Why? Because God, like, you know, in ancient times, man, when they degraded women, first of all, you let, listen, women, don't ever let a man take your value. Don't ever let a man take your dignity. Don't ever let a man take your godliness. Why? Because the first ones God decided to use to send to the tomb were godly ladies. And here's what's crazy. The ladies that were sent there believed right away. But the disciples all doubted. So, brother, if you're sitting in here, you going, man, I'm that dude. You ain't that dude. Because even when the ladies do go tell the disciples, Luke 24 says they all doubt. When I was living in Philly, I was working at Epiphany Fellowship in Philly, and um, I had a long day. It was, I mean, at least a 10, 12-hour day. I was working all day, and, uh, and I was tired. And so the church is in North Philly. I was living in South Philly, and I drove home. And I don't know if you guys know about South Philly, but parking is horrible. And so I'm trying to find some park parking, and I'm circling the block. And finally, I found parking about 40, 45 minutes later. Uh, I found it. Uh, and I'm not joking about that. Sometimes my wife and I used to drive around, like, all night trying to find a spot. I finally found a spot about six or seven blocks away. And I park, and I'm tired, I'm getting out the car, and this young lady runs up to the car and starts to share the gospel with me. Now, in my, I must have been looking real sinful that day, because she was going in on the gospel. And a piece of me, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm tired. So let me just tell her, like, man, I already believe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm a pastor, so, you know, thank God for what you're doing. You know, share the gospel with a non-believer. But something in me said, just hear her out. Just let her share the gospel. And when I tell you, she shared the gospel with me in such a way that I wanted to re-give my life to the Lord. I wanted to be like, I wasn't a believer, now I am. Because she was killing the gospel. What am I saying? Ladies, we need you doing that. 
Like when I say that we haven't shared our faith, our, we haven't shared the gospel all year, forget sharing the gospel. I'm not asking you to stand on a corner with a sign. I'm saying the people that are in your life, have you shared the faith with them? Look at what these two women, these two women are used by God as the first communicators to secure the gospel to say the resurrection is true. Like the death of Christ really was a check that purchased your salvation. But the resurrection is proof that that check cleared. And the women are the ones that get to see that clear check before the disciples even know. So, ladies, we need you. Who's at the tomb? Mary. Who's at the tomb? The other Mary. <laughs> Mary Mary is at the tomb. Listen, she said, I love God. Thomas doubted, but the, but the Marys. The Marys believed. Seriously, Peter denied, but the two women believed. The other disciples gave up and were ready to go fishing, showing that they were giving up on Christianity, going back to their old ways, but the women believed. The, the men are sitting at, at Gethsemane, and they're sleeping, but the women are ready to believe. So women, listen to me. This affirms you today. You are loved, you are valued, and we need you. We need you to be killing it for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to, to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone back and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning. Uh, and his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became, look at this, like dead men. Like this is so interesting to me. There, there are guards that are sitting on the outside of the tomb. And they're, they're guarding to make sure nobody's stealing the body. And then an angel comes. And the Bible says that these men are like dead men. I don't know if they were pale I don't know if they just froze in place. I don't know if they dropped to the ground and just looked like they were dead. But here's what's interesting. Inside the tomb, the one that was in the tomb was supposed to be dead, but is really alive. And the ones on the outside of the tomb were supposed to be alive, but they're like dead men. This is the Savior that we serve. That it, first of all, that's so dope because the angel himself was such a frightening being that men look like dead men. But the angels bow to our king. As scary as they like, we think angels are like Cupid, you know, flying around. No, that's not an angel. Whenever men saw angels, they look like dead men. But those angels can't even look at the holiness of our God. So the Bible says that these men became like dead men. Now, here's what's interesting. You would think that the angel would resuscitate the two men. You would think that the angel would do some type of CPR. He doesn't do. In fact, he doesn't even talk to them. He ignores them in our text. We hear nothing else about them. The angel ignores them, and he affirms the resurrection of our king to these godly ladies. He builds up their faith. Listen to me. And he sends them on a mission. Look with me back at the text. Verse 5, what's the mission? Here it is. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place 
where he lay. Here's what's interesting. The, the angel is like, listen, I need you to come see the place. They don't get details on the resurrection. They, they don't get to know that Jesus folded his clothes, which he did, and he left them where he laid. They don't know if he oozed out between the rocks. They don't know anything. All they get is the assurance of an empty tomb. That is all the detail that they get. He said, come and see. When I was in Israel, when I went inside the tomb, I, I took a picture uh, of me going in the tomb, and uh, I posted this verse. I, I quoted this verse, come and see where he lay. In other words, the tomb was rolled away so that they could come and see. See, we often think, and I've said this before, we often think that the, the stone was rolled away so that Jesus could get out. But that can't be true. You know why it's not true? Because after Jesus died and before he ascended to heaven, he had the ability to appear and disappear. How do I know that? John chapter 20, the Bible says that the disciples were all in the room. The details give us in verse 19 shows us that the door was locked and Jesus just shows up. In other words, Jesus had the ability to disappear and appear. Why do you need to roll a stone away if you have the ability to disappear out of the tomb and appear somewhere else? Here's why the stone was rolled away. It was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. It was rolled away so that you could get in. It was rolled away so that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, could get in to see that Jesus rose from the dead. It affirms the empty tomb is not the only proof, but it is a good proof. It shows us that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. There's more details in verse 6 that I think we should work through. It says, he is not here, for he has risen, I love this, as he said. In other words, the angel reminds these two ladies that Jesus rose as he said. In other words, the empty tomb, Jesus already predicted it. At least six times in the book of Matthew, Jesus talked about his resurrection. At least six times. And so what we're getting to see is the reason you can trust Jesus' words because Jesus' words always come true. Let me get a little bit more broader than that. The reason you can trust the scriptures, the word of God, is because of an empty tomb. That's the reason why I, the reason why I bank my chips all on 66 books is because the tomb is empty. In other words, when I get anxiety, I realize, I, I look at places that say, you know, do not be anxious about anything. And, and, and that calms my spirit. Why? Because I trust the word. And I trust the word because the tomb is empty. Does that make sense to you? The reason I don't lose my mind when I, when I lose my job is because I realize Matthew 6 says, it, it talks about, uh, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I can trust in the provision of God because the word tells me to. I can trust the word because the tomb is empty. Does that make sense? The reason I don't wallow in my sin and I go out and just live any old way I want to live because Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. The reason I don't gratify the desires of the flesh is because the word tells me not to. The reason I trust the word is because of the empty tomb. Don't tell me you trust the empty tomb and you don't trust this word. Because he's the angel said, the empty, the tomb is empty as he said. So we trust the word of God because we trust that there's an empty tomb. If they find the body of Jesus Christ, we can't trust the word, but they can't find it. Okay, 
What happens after Easter? That's the point of why we're here this morning. What happens after Easter? Verse number seven and eight is going to show us what happens after Easter. But here's what I can promise you. If we're not careful, we can miss the detail of what happens after Easter. Look at verse seven and eight with me. Verse seven says, then go quickly. This is the angel talking. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you, verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Did you catch that? Verse number 7, the angel says, go quickly. Verse number 8 starts with they departed quickly. Okay, you're a little slow this morning, so I'm going to say it again. Verse number 7 says, the angel said, go quickly. Verse number 8 says, they departed quickly. Third time's the charm. Verse number seven says, go quickly. Verse number eight says, they departed quickly. In other words, they did what they were told. Hear me, exactly the way they were told to do it. Proof that the tomb is empty. This is how I know you believe the tomb is empty, when you obey the word of God. These people, the ladies here, did exactly what they were told because they knew that tomb was empty. Don't tell me you trust the word of God and you don't obey the word of God. Don't tell me you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you are, your life isn't submitted to the word. People that believe that the tomb is empty do not go out and live whatever, whatever way they want to. We just don't. We are convicted. We are constrained by the word of God. Hear me, even when you disagree with the word. Oh, y'all acting like y'all always agree with the word. Like the word is always like, yeah, yes and amen. You ever read the word and was like, ouch. I read the word one time and I was like, God, you didn't mean to put that in there. This is a typo. Like you really gonna, you want me to obey that? I was reading where Jesus says, love your neighbor. I'm like, okay, I got that. But then he goes on and says, as yourself. I love myself. And you love yourself too. I see your social media. But Jesus is saying, don't just love your neighbor, Love them like you love your own self. That's hard to do. So when I read texts like that, I'm like, man, I disagree. But I submit to the word. Why? Because there's an empty tomb. And because there's an empty tomb, it, it, it leads me to want to submit. It leads me to want to grow in obedience. And some of you in here, you lack obedience because you lack somebody else in your life telling you obey the word. Like, don't, like, you need that one person in your life saying, well, didn't you quote that verse to me? And now you're kind of contradicting your own life with it. You need that person in your life. These women were told by the angel to go quickly, and they departed quickly. Exactly. They did not just depart slowly. And that's what we do. We read the word, but we do a slight alteration to it, alternative facts. That's what we do to the word. We be like, I know you said that, but let me help you out. This is what you meant to say. Listen, they did exactly what the word of God said. The word of God said to go quickly. And so they said, we will not be slow with this either. Verse number, uh, verse number eight. Look at the emotions. So they departed quickly from the tomb with great fear. And then they go on with, uh, with fear and with great joy. The English language does not do this well. The New Testament is written in a language called Greek. And uh, the word for fear is phobos. Okay, phobos is where we get our word phobia from. So in other words, this is not reverence fear. There's times in the text where it talks about fear of the Lord, not a scourge, you know, with a U, not an A, 
but actually like physically being scared. The text is telling us not reverence. They had real fear. But the angel calms that fear down. But here's what I love. And this, this is the deepest thing I got in the sermon. After verse 8 comes verse 9. Tell me that ain't deep. After verse 8, their Bible says that there is fear in verse 8. But verse 9, Jesus shows up. Verse number 10, when he speaks, verse number 10 says, he says, do not be afraid. In other words, Jesus is saying, if the tomb is empty, you have nothing to fear. Some of you go through life and fear guides you, fear grips you. Some of you, God has told you to do certain things and ministry and start a business and all of these things. And you are afraid. Fear has gripped you. But God is like, Jesus is like, the tomb is empty. Why are you fearful when the tomb is empty? The proof of the tomb itself should drive out all anxiety. Okay, let me make this plain. That bad diagnosis should not drive you to fear. It should drive you to look to the healer. The lack of provision should not, you getting laid off doesn't drive us to fear. Where does it drive us? It drives us to the one that is able to provide. Do not grow in fear. Paul talks about it too. Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Believers that trust that the tomb is empty do not live fearful lives. Jesus steps in at verse 10 and says, don't be afraid. And the angel told them, don't be afraid. Twice we see that in the text. And some of you in here, I, I realize we're, you're, coming in, you're coming in this room full of fear. But you can't be afraid because there is no situation. If he rose from the dead, there's nothing impossible for him. Nothing. So when I used to go, when I did my undergrad work at, at uh, Karen University, uh, I, there was one season of the, when, when I was going to school, there was one season where I was being discipled by Dr. Mason at the same time that I was going to school. And when I was being discipled by him, part of my discipleship was preaching development. And so he let me preach on a Sunday, and then that Tuesday we'd sit down and he'd tell me everything I did wrong. And, and I started to, you know, grow as a preacher because of time with Dr. Mason. The other part of that discipleship was he gave me a bunch of required reading. He said, you got to read all these books. I need you to write me papers. I need you to write me letters. I need you to tell me what you got from these books, and I can work you through these books. And after a season of that, I felt like I was starting to really understand the concept of preaching. But when I was in school at Langhorne, in Langhorne, uh, Pennsylvania, I had the option one semester of taking two different courses. So they said, which one do you want to take? One of them was on preaching, and I looked at the required reading, and it was all of the books that I already read. The other one was this Old Testament course, which was a very difficult course, and the professor was a very difficult professor. But in my mind, I said, you know, I'm trying to be a good student. I want to learn as much as possible. I'm going to take the Old Testament course. That's what I said to myself. So I get down to the registrar's office. The lady that works in the registrar's office, her name is Pam Millhouse, the sweetest lady, older lady. She knew me. She knew my family. She knew that I was being discipled by Dr. Mason. I got in there and I said, listen, I'm being discipled through some of this preaching stuff, so I don't want to take that course. Uh, so I'm going to take this Old Testament course. She said, son, you don't want to do that. Mm-mm. You won't pass that course. That's what she told me. She said, you don't want to take that course. Take the preaching course. I said, why would I do that? She said, take the preaching course because it's an easy A. In other words, she said, if you already went through the material and you're already being discipled and you've already wrote papers on preaching, then that's an easy A. Okay, let me make that a little bit plain. 
If the tomb is empty, you getting cancer is an easy A for God. If you're sitting in this room and you've gotten laid off, look to the tomb. The tomb in and of itself should breed confidence. Because there's nothing too hard if he could raise himself from the dead. If he got up on, th on the third day from the dead, there is nothing, absolutely nothing too hard for him. But here's what I know. Fear is not the only emotion in the text. Look at what else is in the text. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear. I love this one. And great joy. Not joy. Great joy. This word great here in the Greek is megas. It is where we get our word mega from. So they didn't just have a little bit of joy. They had mega joy. But here's what's interesting about their joy. They have joy in verse 8, and they still ain't seen Jesus yet. They got joy in verse 8, and Jesus don't show up till verse 9. There's two types of Christians that, that I often run across. There, there's that one type that needs everything lined up for them. They need two cars in the garage. They need money in the bank. The relationship got to be intact. That's one type of Christian. They, that, what they have in their life that's going well will breed a sense of joy. Then there's another group of us in here. That we don't need everything intact. We need the assurance that our Savior lives. That breeds joy. I'm just trying to get a room check. Which type of Christian are you? Are you the type of Christian that you don't need everything in order? You don't need everything in place. But as long as you serve a risen Savior, that in and of itself breeds megas. Breeds great joy. We don't got joy because everything's together. We got joy because Jesus is altogether wonderful. That's what brings us joy. He rose brings us joy. Not what you have in the bank, not the fact that you got a degree, not, to, not that your boo is all together. No, you got joy because the tomb is empty. Let's keep going here. Verse 9 and 10. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's some apparent contradictions. We're going to work through apparent contradictions, and I'm, I'm going to let you go. There's apparent contradictions in verse 9 and 10. And the reason I say they're apparent because they're not really contradictions. Verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came and they took hold of his feet. First of all, let me, I'm a little immature, so let me just slide this in real quick. I cracked up this morning when I was reading over this verse. Got up at 6 o'clock this morning and, and was reading this verse, and I got to took hold of his feet. And I started laughing because on Friday, I told you I'm immature, so just stay with me. On Friday when we had... Uh, the, the, the scene where Garmin was sitting up here playing Jesus and you saw Dale with his little skirt on walking in as a Roman soldier and you saw Danielle uh, playing the mother of Jesus. After service, I said, Danielle, you did such an amazing job. Is Danielle here? Did I see Danielle? She is here. She said she's not here. I said, Danielle, you did, you did such an amazing job. Man, like you were really in character. She said, I almost broke seam, like in seam. I said, how? She said, I actually touched Garmin's feet. I said, yeah, that, the devil is a liar. You don't touch it. Like, I don't touch nobody's feet except my wife. Tell you something, you don't touch people's feet. When I read this, I cracked up. But look at what they did. She really wanted to be in character because the Bible says they took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Here's the apparent contradiction. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Here's the, the, the apparent contradiction. When the angel comes to the two ladies, the angel gives them two details. The angel says, tell the disciples that I have risen and tell them to go to Galilee. Jesus steps in and leaves out. 
go to, uh, leaves out the part about him rising. He just gets there and he says, tell them to go to Galilee. Now, why does Jesus leave that part out? Here's why Jesus leaves it out. Because when the angel told the ladies, they haven't seen Jesus yet. But when Jesus tells them, it's almost as like Jesus is like, if you have an experience with me, if you have an encounter with me, don't nobody got to tell you that I rose. You'll tell people just based on the fact that you saw me. And if you in this room have trusted in Jesus, you've experienced the grace and the mercy that is found in Jesus. Don't nobody got to tell you to share your faith. Jesus didn't have to say, tell him I rose. You know why? Tell him to meet me in Galilee because I know you're going to tell him I rose because you see me. And some of you in this room have saw Jesus work a miracle in your life. You're sitting in this room is a miracle in and of itself. And you've experienced Jesus and you go out and don't tell people about it. Jesus assumes that these ladies are going to say, listen, not only meet him in Galilee, but I saw him. He has risen. Jesus does not have to give that detail. Here's the second apparent contradiction. Jesus, when the angels come, the angels say, tell the disciples. When Jesus speaks to the ladies, he says, don't miss this. Tell my brothers. In other words, they failed discipleship class. They, they slept in Gethsemane. They doubted him. Thomas is like, listen, unless I stick my fingers into it, it's like Thomas really doubted. They denied him three times. You, you see over and over again, these men, on the, on the two men on the road to Emmaus were depressed at the fact that they thought Jesus really did die and did not rise. And so they failed discipleship class. But despite their mess ups, God still loves them and says, I call them brothers. Maybe that's you in this room. Maybe you walked in here and you've really messed things up. Maybe you've walked in here and you got, a, got sin just hanging over your head. Here's what I know based on the fact that Jesus does not condemn the disciples for messing up, but says, I love them. They're brothers. They're family. And if that's you in this room, if you're in this room and you've messed up, I just want to I want to play. If you hear me, if you hear nothing else, hear this. Jesus loves you. You know how I know he loves you? Because he decided to die on a cross for you. Like there's no greater proof of the love of Jesus Christ, like looking at the cross. And here's what's interesting about the cross. He does not die that, for that future you that prays more. He doesn't love the you that you fantasize over. I want to be like that one day. He loves you in your mess. How do I know that? Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of your sin, he loved you so much that he gave his life. You don't know God didn't have 10 sons, right? God didn't have 10 and give Jesus and still kept nine. He gave his one and only for you. So the Bible says that he doesn't call them disciples. No, 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 no. These are brothers. I love them. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Now that we've seen the love of Christ through the fact that he would die for us, and we've seen the love of Christ in the fact that he would rise from the dead, how does that impact you? Are, are you in here and you're like, man, I believe in the resurrection, but I don't obey the word and I don't tell anybody about the gospel message of Christ. If that's you in this room, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you. Nothing spooky. I want to light a match and put it under you. Can I tell you how our lives should be, should be wired? 
our lives as believers of Jesus Christ, our lives should look like us setting ourselves on fire and inviting people to come watch us burn for Jesus. That's what your life should look like. How in the world do we go through life and know that Jesus rose from the dead and don't tell anybody about a risen Savior? So if you're in this room and that's you, I want you to slip your hand up. I want you to say, I want to rekindle this fire, this love for Jesus. I want to rekindle. I see those hands. That's you. Raise your hand. I want to rekindle this relationship. I, I, want to, I, I really genuinely want to pray more. I really genuinely want to read my Bible more. I really genuinely want to tell people about Jesus more. I see those hands. Some of you in here aren't, don't have your hands up, but you know it's you. You know your relationship isn't where it should be with the Lord. Some of you haven't talked to him in months. You haven't read your Bible. You haven't shared your faith. Father, I pray for each and every hand that is raised. Father, I, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the honesty of these hands that are raised. Because what they are saying is, Lord, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more sacrificial. I want to be more loving. I want to be more in tune with your will for my life. I've gone through life far long enough doing my own thing. Father, if your tomb is really empty, that should drive everything about me. People on my job don't even know I'm a Christian. My neighbors don't even know I believe in Jesus. How? Why? Lord, help us. And for those that didn't raise their hand, I pray for their relationship too. Pray that there would be men and women that trust you, that believe in you. That believe in you in such a way that their lives are surrendered to you. Father, meet us. Meet each and every one of us. And after Easter, Lord, there's a Monday that comes after Easter. And help us to be witnesses of you. It's in your name we do pray and give all glory. Amen. As the communion team comes, one of the things I don't want us to do is commercialize Easter. It's not about the Easter bunny. It's not about eggs. They're like we give, we give the commercialized Easter way too much credit. You sit in the card aisle, go to Target after church and just sit in the card aisle and read the Easter cards. 90% of them are about bunnies and eggs. We should be about Jesus in this room.